Okay, sorry to be so late. A uh, lot cooking this morning, though, so that's good. Uh, let's see here. Okay, very first Sunday in Lent. Um, my guess is you're all oversubscribed, and then when we say, why don't you come to uh, Wednesday evening at 7 for half an hour and sit in the dark and the quiet, that probably sounds like more one more thing to do. But it might be... Um, a way of sort of reordering your life with one less thing to do. So uh, we will see what happens. It's Lent one, six out, where we need to be. So let's pray and then we can chatter. O God, who sends forth your commandment upon the earth and whose word runs very swiftly, let your Holy Spirit so prepare our minds and wills for your teaching that no carelessness or shallowness or love of ease shall hinder us from bringing forth the fruits of righteousness by which men may know that we are followers of your blessed Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So you have this double thing always going on in Lent. It is a season of penitence, and it is a chance to look at your life again and uh, have a good look at yourself. And that can be kind of dismal if you have a good look at yourself. But it's a necessary, hey, it's a necessary... Uh, part of being a Christian, which is always uh, a proper look at yourself. So, um, we'll, we'll have to go with that. This is going to Ghana, Pastor Finn. If you got an extra 50 cents, throw that in. You take that, Karen. Thank you very much. If you'll sign this. Questions about anything or anything left from last time? Want to chat about? You sure? You're too easy. All right. So, um, in front of you, there's all sorts of things to have a look at. Um, this will be the easiest one. Could you, could you hand this out? One of the things that's been striking in the study has been um, how important obedience is. If one thing could happen to you this Lent, I'd be so happy for you to be able to hear obedience as a friendly word, as a gospel word, not a law word. We normally think of obedience as um, somebody, you know, giving us this. But it's very interesting in the scriptures, both the word love and the word humility, their primary definitions uh, for us are obedience. So the Son loves the Father today by being utterly obedient. The Son loves the Holy Spirit by being utterly complicit. Also, um, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek or the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. It's actually, the word there is really, uh, blessed are the obedient. And I, it's so hard for us because almost, you know, from childhood, when we hear the word, won't you obey, somebody has always sort of shaken their fist at us. Um, and I can just sum it up for you all in this way. Um, we have this sense that somehow the Ten Commandments are going to ruin our fun. And that's how people think about church. If you, if you talk to people on the outside, they have this notion that church will ruin their fun. What church really does is make you fully human. It gives you the physical touch of Jesus. It makes you fully a child of God. And yet the world um, has just the opposite. Um, that's the last thing. If I want to be fully human, I stay outside the church. The church says if you want to be fully human, stay inside the church. If you want to be fully a child of God, stay inside the church. Come to the Eucharist. Never miss an opportunity. Read your text. Say your prayers. Strengthen yourself. The problem is, is when we come into the church, we often still have that outside influence. I would suggest to you that's the reason people don't tithe. 
um, because people don't understand, um, well, less money for me and less money ruins my fun, right? I mean, it's a very, it's a very concrete example even among Lutherans where, you know, tithe means 2.7%. Just nutty, you know, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know who, who thinks that, but... Um, so, so uh, you know, part of what, in, in talking what we talk about today, it's going to be difficult because um, this is going to pinch you. And, you know, I would, you know, I'd prefer to be happy. I, I'd prefer it for you to be happy. But to be honest, if I have to choose between you and the Lord, um, the Lord gets the first nod. So um, I'm here to do what I'm to do, and then uh, you'll have to sort it out with him. Um, if you're getting this thing, from, it's just funny how things keep, I'm always been struck by kind of what we do always appears in the press, you know, a month later. So here's um, something from Christianity Today about meekness. Uh, um, uh, meekness isn't weakness. And you might want to take this and, and have a, a read at this. Um, Psalm 37, this is the way at the bottom, is all about strength in meekness. It deals with trusting God to be God and not trying to do his job. So you don't have to repay evil for evil. You can rely on God for justice. This is exactly what we did about two months ago when we went through the difference between uh, justice and mercy. You can trust God. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the obedient. Blessed are those who trust God to do his work, to work out justice. And that lets you then live in mercy. So I saw this this week. I thought I would um, send it along to you. You can take a look and see if it helps. Okay, any questions? Nothing from last week? You sure? You all right? All right, then, uh, you know, what, what we've been doing is trying to figure out how to make a good confession, which would mean a thorough confession, and we would do that as uh, a helpful thing, remembering that love fulfills the law and that um, if you love me, says Jesus, you'll keep my commandments. There's all sorts of other quotations in the scriptures about love, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is the most, patient, uh, most famous love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, love is not boastful. Guess what? Today in the gospel, the devil, as he tries to befriend you, is patient and kind and not jealous and not boastful. So guess what? That's not love. Those, those things are only love after you're obedient. When you're obedient, then love is patient, kind, not jealous or boastful. Anything else is, in, is, is, a, is a fake. The devil is very calm today. He, he comes in later at a more opportune time with full force. But today, the devil looks like 1 Corinthians 13, which tells you that 1 Corinthians 13 isn't the first word, it's the last word. The first word is obedience to Christ. And then what does it look like? It looks like Christ's spirit. What does Christ's spirit look like? Patient, kind, jealous, the fruits of, not jealous, not boastful. Those are the fruits of the spirit. So in all that I'm saying there, what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to get you so that you don't give your own definitions to words in the scriptures. You have to let the scriptures give you the definitions. Jesus tells you what something is. So Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, you know, that's very, very difficult to do. Do you have this thing in front of you? Does anybody need this, how a Christian should be taught to confess? I've got scads of them up here. Who needs that? Would you raise your hand? I'll give you one. So, um, Dan, can you help me? Yeah. Oh, Phil, great. Yeah, here you go. Um, I don't know. How many of you, thank you very much. If you'll take that to 
right there, Mrs. Hydor, and that'd be fantastic. How many of you were growing up and you were in, uh, how many when you were growing up in confirmation, how many of your pastors taught you to rigorously examine yourself? Raise your hand. That's great. That's, um, I know where you went to church, so I know why that happened. That's fantastic. You grew up in a great old school Lutheran church. Karen, you're old enough to have a good pastor too. Anybody else where your pastors already did it? Yeah. Well, now see, it's really interesting how this is breaking down. I mean, you're, you're like 29 or 30, four, you're 30, 31, how old are you? I knew what I was doing there, Karen, I just wondered how fast you'd catch up with me. So it's, all, it's all okay, I love you, come on now. Um, you know, Dennis, uh, you know, you, those, you, can, you can, one of the great things about small rural churches where everybody knows you is there's, a, there's some disadvantages, like everybody thinks um, they're your parent. But on the other hand, that can be a helpful thing because everybody's saying, hey, that's not how we act around here. We're here, it's a little more, you know, Fall. You don't even know the people that came at 6 o'clock. Uh, by the way, as a, as a, in terms of a little segue, we're not far from the time when we have to start thinking about what our service times are going to be and how our schedule is going to look next door. So um, look deep into your hearts and start to think about uh, you know, what that's going to look like. Uh, interesting, I don't know what the cause is. The 8 a.m. service is shrinking. Our 745 service is shrinking. Our other two services there seems to be a displacement in the later two services. I don't know why that is. If you're a 745er, you can let me know. I'm curious about that. Um, so anyway, uh, this is something you should have been taught, um, but maybe you weren't. And, you know, we probably haven't done as good a job on this as we should. But um, I told you, Corby's this old man who was at Valpo and then in Gary and then in Washington. And uh, he had a stroke and he died a year or so ago. Bender is a guy up in Wisconsin who's... Uh, sort of his bread and butter is redoing, um, you know, reestablishing the catechism as a, as a good use for people. So if you turn to the first page, now, I don't know if you, you would define your pastor this way. You know, these questions are intended to prick the conscience and expose our need for confession. Have you got this? How a Christian should be taught to confess? Everybody got one? Anybody need one? Uh, good. You got some still? I got scads of them if you need them. Um, there you go. Anybody need one? Really, take one, because it'll be, it's so much easier if you go through them. I, I got them. You just take them. You can, we made plenty of copies. Anybody else? Raise your hands, really. Here, take these still. Take these, buddy. There you go. Just in case you need some more. I don't know if you, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe part of the issue sometimes is um, you all don't know how to use a pastor, or you don't know what a pastor is for. I don't know whether, you know, you open this up on the very first page, it says, these questions, and these are questions your pastor would put to you, are tended to prick your conscience. Your, at least in the first analysis, your pastor is to teach you how to do this. I don't know whether you think of your pastor as the person who's supposed to say to you, in fact, I'd almost guarantee that most of you do not think of your pastor as the person who's supposed to actually put the law to you and say, that's not how Christians act. Um, in the very few cases where that's been done around here, people normally have, you know, a horrible reaction to that. But in the catechism, that's the normal thing that your pastor as a spiritual father does for you. Um, you can always argue about if your pastor's any good or, you know, whether he knows what he's talking about or what his motives might be. You can argue about all of that, except under the fourth commandment, you can't really because the pastor's put into place with a divine call, and that's his job to do. Um, so the, the church understood that in previous, um, you know, years, decades, centuries. Uh, we, don't ex we don't do that as much now because we're all about um, 
church is marketed now and people shop when they don't like what's going on and they move on and of course then you never get pastoral care because you never get your problems cleaned up. Um, but for you who are here, uh, maybe just to observe that this is what uh, one of the things a pastor is, is good for. So um, these questions are intended to prick the conscience and expose our need for confession. For Christians, the Ten Commandments are learned by heart. Um, you know, we still try to teach kids by heart that they learn these. And prayed, and I don't know if you ever think about praying the Ten Commandments, particularly so that we might be moved to repentance. Now, the only reason you're going to repent is if you think you're wrong. If you've got nothing to repent of, you know, then you don't repent. Um, in our last 30 years, repentance, confession and absolution, like crosses, have fallen out of many churches. Now, why is that? Why, when, you, when you go into a church and there's no cross, why is that? Or when you go to a church and there's no confession why, and, and forgiveness, why is that? Why is that? It is. It's seen as a stumbling block. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Pastor Ganey, can I tell your haircut story? So Ganey's getting his haircut. <laughs> and the woman... Um, no, here's the thing, man. Okay, what do I want to do when I get my haircut? And I can speak for Ganey, because without asking you, this is what you want to do when you get your haircut. You bring a newspaper and you do this. Because, man, I don't want to talk to the person cutting my hair. Why? I mean, this could go, it could go bad at any moment, right? But people who cut hair also want to talk. Do they not want to talk? They want to talk. So Gaynig, you know, he gets his hair cut. And then as soon as they find out you're a pastor, there's two things that people want to do. Then they either want to be quiet, so sometimes it does work for you, or they want to tell you everything, Right? So, I mean, Gaining's last haircut is not unusual. This happens on an airplane. You never wear a collar on an airplane unless you're willing to hear a confession from here to San Francisco. <laughs> I mean, you just don't. I mean, people will move near because you're a captive audience. Or if they're mad at the church, boom, they're ready to go. So, I mean, this, this, this um, lovely young woman says something like, Oh, you're a pastor. Oh, then they, the first line is, Oh, I used to be a. And then you can fill it in. I can't even remember what she was, and it doesn't matter. But the story is then, you know, that she had a child out of wedlock, and then she felt the church was condemning her, and then um, she ended up going to a church that didn't have a cross or confession, and kind of goes there kind of off and onsy. Well, here's the thing. There, that tells you two things. It tells you something about where she went, which is they're not serving her well, but it also tells, tells us something about ourselves. I think I told you once I was with a guy who's... Um, very strict, very strict is not good, a very faithful, but he was strict too, a Christian guy, um, and his brother who was kind of lapsed said to him, what would happen if, you know, if your daughter got pregnant? And he said, my house would be the best house in all the world for my daughter to be pregnant. Now, I just wonder if that would be your first response if you're a teenage, I mean, I have teenage daughters. I mean, if my daughter came home, my goal would be to make my house the best house in the world for a daughter who is pregnant. And I also believe in confession and absolution. And from Arthur Just, I learned that um, the pastor is the one who defends a pregnant bride's right to wear a white wedding dress if you really believe in forgiveness. 
So we have to learn to put all those things together. I would suggest to you the reason we don't put those things together very well is we haven't practiced very much. And we never get past the, we think, confession is about making people feel bad rather than making them feel loved, which is drawing them back into a right relationship with Christ where they are strong enough to get it right the next time, which is what obedience is. It's being strong enough to get it right the next time. So um, don't have any other gods. Here we are on the first page. Now, uh, AOR did a pretty good job with this. We should fear and love God, um, that we you know, trust God above all things. You'll notice one way to preach the, the text for today would have been that Jesus um, fears, trusts, and loves God, which is the first one is fear. He's afraid he's going to starve to death. The second one, uh, to trust. He trusts God. Uh, he's not afraid that he'll starve to death. He trusts God to be with him, even though he's going to take him to the cross. Fear, trust, and love God. He loves God enough not to tempt him, but to hang, hang but, to, but to obey his word. So Jesus is the perfect incarnation of the first. That would be another way to preach the text from this morning. But here's how you might think about it. My God is that which I love, trust, and fear most in life. That's, a, a, that's right from the large catechism. I expect my comfort, good, and delight from God. I just stop you there. I just ask you whether, this will really show you whether you see God as your friend or your enemy. When I say to you, listen and obey, I'm talking about God. Listen and obey God. Or do exactly what the Ten Commandments tell you. Or follow the scriptures to the letter. What I think you're probably hearing me do is this, but what I hope you're hearing is because I love you and God loves you. If you do exactly as God says, he will be your comfort, your good, and your delight. There's only one sin, and that's we want to make it our own way. Every sin breaks the first commandment. We're afraid of what people will think about us. We're afraid of what will happen to us. We imagine in our minds how the dominoes will fall, and we don't like where they end up falling. We afraid, we're afraid we'll be uncomfortable. We're afraid that we'll lose our reputation. You know, we're afraid to do the right thing. It's all here in the very first commandment. Um, have I loved, trusted, or feared other things or people more than I love, trust, and fear God? So God tells you to be faithful, um, a faithful father. Or God tells you to tell the truth and not to gossip. Or God tells you to be content with what you've got. I mean, the rest of the commandments just flesh out this very first one. Have I loved, trusted, or feared other things? But I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I don't get my licks in, you know, then something bad could happen to me. I'm afraid that um, God won't care for me. And see, this has such great implications for being a community, which is one of the best things that happened around here is the Mana Fund. It's been, it's been fantastic. In fact, you who have given to that, um, we could probably use a little punch. We're gonna, in a couple of months, we're gonna be on the edge, so we'll probably announce that, but I know many of you who are faithful to give to that, um, probably time again. But we've been able to help people who have been out of work or stressed or didn't have heat or didn't have groceries or couldn't pay for school clothes. I mean. It's a, it's a sin in a congregation that any congregation member would ever go hungry. That's our sin. 
which is why you should tithe, you see. Because if you give 2.7%, honest to God, if you give 2.7%, we don't have enough money to buy food and pay rent for people here who have lost their jobs. If you all give 10%, then we can buy food and pay rent for people who have lost their jobs, and we can do that until they get back on their feet and they contribute to the community. That's how community works. If you just, it's like that, you know, the, what's that game where you pull the things out, and then at some point, you know, you pull the last one? What's it? Jenga? Sounds like a swear word, Phil. Jenga. <laughs> But that's how it is. It's like if you just keep pulling those out and, it's, and you can't see that things have changed and finally you pull the last one out and everything comes tumbling down. So you, we always think that we can sin and it doesn't make any difference. You, know, you didn't see it. Nobody noticed. Every sin dents the community. Every sin keeps us from doing good someplace where we should be doing good. Um, that's why it's important to do the right thing even when nobody's watching you. Because that is what builds the community and makes it strong. Um, if you do the wrong thing as soon as somebody turns their head, I don't know. I don't know what to do with you. Um, I don't even know if you're a Christian at that point. Because um, I believe what I see and what I hear. I don't know anything except what I see and what I hear. That's the only way for me to know if you're a Christian or not. So just kind of think that through. You can't, you can't sort of play this at half speed. Have I loved, trusted, feared other things or people more than I trust God? Have I committed idolatry by seeking comfort, good, and delight from my own efforts rather than God? I'll just figure this out for myself. Just one well-placed lie here? Or if I just cut back a little bit? You know, I know, I know, you know people struggle. I, I know. Um, you know, I struggle too. It's important for all of us to struggle toward what the Lord wants and not against what he wants, though. And I think the AOR thing was a very good exercise in identifying our idols. As Pastor Nelson regularly said, um, idols need to be smashed. You know, if you find an idol, smash it. Um, that would be the best possible thing for you. It might be something very dear to you. Um, your reputation, your career, um, even your family, if you think your family is more important than God. So if you find an idol, smash it. That's, that's the biblical story. The golden calf, don't they grind it up and drink it? Yeah. Okay, so um, do I look to God, my Heavenly Father, for all love, good, and joy? Is everything measured for me by what pleases me? All right? In all things, am I selfish and self-centered? Which is another way of saying, do I need to have my way? Or honestly... Do I reject authority? Am I the ultimate authority? In the fourth commandment, when we get there, it's all about there's an order in life. Pliny, you know, was very good about this. Uh, the Lord orders things. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's Christ and his church, and husbands and wives, and pastors and churches. And anytime you get outside of that divine order, things just blow up. You may not like authority, you may not like order, you may not like the way it's ordered. Guess what? If you don't like it, you're outside the first commandment because that's how the Lord has ordered the world. That's how he's ordered the cosmos. You can argue against it, you can beat against it, you can say it's not true, you can blow it up if you want, but there'll be a day um, when the Lord will sort it out. So um, there it is. Do I see worry and fretting as a sin against God? Um, in some ways, you're saying that God lies then, that he won't really care for you. Do I complain about the troubles people work and suffering God lays on me? 
Now, it's very important if you talk about God punishing you that you understand as a Christian, God does punish Christians. He, does, he punishes me and he punishes you. Um, the difference between how he punishes me and how he punishes an unbeliever is that he punishes me and he punishes you, the baptized, to make you better. And he punishes unbelievers to make them worse and ultimately to destroy them. Uh, that's the difference. If you can get a word of gospel to them as they're being punished, then they can be turned. But punishment in the church, for all of you, the difference is that God does not punish you to destroy you. He punishes you to change. So it's very possible that our congregation has been punished over the past year or two. In fact, to the elders, I've told them exactly what I think the punishments are the result of. Um, but I'm not, you know, maybe brave enough to say it to all of you. I'm not, I'm not big on cause and effect, but I can tell you some things I'm sure we're being punished for. Now, um, the question will be whether we will repent, accept the punishment, repent, and change, or whether we'll just hope things will blow over and go on doing the same old thing. So part of what you should be doing in all the rigmarole that's happened in the last couple of years is reordering your own life, and that will reorder the life of the community. And, you know, this is, this is so fresh because we've been at it for two years, but um, another one of the problems is, is that we are so bad at this that we, every confession is a huge struggle. We daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. That's how the catechism talks. You know what we do? We daily deny much and hardly believe that anybody would ever punish us for anything. So one of the things that needs to happen out of your self-examination is that you become much more quick to confess. You who are married, or I, actually you can do this with your kids too. You, if you have children or if you're married, um, you know that the quicker you come to confession, the quicker you say to your wife, I was a complete jerk, the quicker she says, I forgive you, and the quicker things get repaired. It's the same with kids, is it not? Well, I know this is theoretical for you, Val, because I know Fred, and, you know. Fred would never do anything wrong. But look at your son sitting next to you. I think he might have done something wrong once. Yes, Fred. Okay, good. I, <clears throat> this is uh, just some friendly advice. It's a very good place to be quiet, quiet, quiet. See, part of our problem is we're not used to confessing. We, we think, it's, it's like, it's, and I will, I'm not talking about private confession, but I'll just use this. When people come to private confession here, they, almost weekly people come to private confession now, people always give them the stink eye. Like they've done something really bad. See, that's our problem, because we think it's extraordinary rather than ordinary. Doing this is a daily, ordinary thing. You go home at the end of the day and say, I was a jerk again today. And tomorrow I'm going to try to be less of a jerk. You know, that should be your normal course of life as opposed to everybody, and not to tell you, it's, the, it's what AOR identified as the Wheaton veneer, the denial, <laughs> that everything is okay for all of you all the time. You're all perfect, and really, I don't have any idea what you're doing here. The only reason you're here is because you're all jerks. But you're the Lord's <laughs> jerks, so you know there's possibility for you here, right? See, now you didn't laugh at that, which makes me nervous about <laughs> what you really think about yourself. See, what was your first reaction? I'm, I'm not a jerk. Okay, I'll go first. Hi, I'm Scott, and I'm a jerk. 
Hi, Scott. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. Anybody else want to play? See, this is not, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I'm Paul, and I think you're a jerk. Yeah, it's just exactly right. Yeah, thank you very much. Perfectly done. You fit right in. You live within the Wheaton City limits. Well done there, buddy. Okay. Now you know how I feel. Yeah. Keep <laughs> Oh, boy, okay. I know. I mean, here's the thing. It, you just, you know, I, I, if you need a discipline for Lent, if you haven't given anything up or taken anything on, you could read this thing once a day. Wouldn't, wouldn't hurt you. Here's the thing. You need to come. We're so pietistic that we think if we confess our sins that we're bad and nobody's going to love us. The Christian message is we confess our sins, we're bad, and he still loves us. I'm a jerk, but I'm the Lord's jerk. I'm a bum, but I'm the Lord's bum. If you don't believe the other end of that, you'll never confess. You'll always have to keep up appearances. Okay? This is all about we need to have a congregation we need to have a congregation where people can say, I shouldn't have said that, and I'm very sorry, and somebody else says, I forgive you, and it's over. We will talk about restitution later, because in some cases there needs to be restitution. But we need to be a congregation where people can not intend to be wrong, but when they are wrong, and it's going to happen to all of us, including your pastors. One of, you know, one of your big problems is you expect your pastors to be perfect. Uh, that is just, you know, <coughs> impossible. Um, we need to get to the point where we can say, I've got idols and they need to be smashed. And you'll say, well, we still love you. And we need to say the same thing about you. We daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. That's in our catechism, okay? So try to, try to see this as help, you know? Um, do I love the things that, I, that God gives me more than I love him? Do I cling to what God takes away, both things and persons, you know? We lose things. I've often thought to myself, I'll just say it to you. I've often thought to myself, I remember the Capitol campaign, and I remember people saying, I just can't really do that. And then I also remember shortly after the Capitol campaign that, oh, I don't know, most of you lost 20, 30, 40% of your net wealth. And I've often thought, you should have just ponied up at the beginning. <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, you should, you'd have lost less, and we'd have done more. I mean, what if you couldn't see it coming? You didn't know that six or eight months later, or a year later, you're going to lose 20 or 30 or 40 percent of what you had saved. <coughs> what if you'd have ponied up at the capital campaign point? I just ask you. The world would have been a different place. See, you're not laughing again. You make me very <laughs> nervous. See, I mean, when you're laughing, you're healing. I'm just being serious with you. You know what? If you'd, have, if you'd have ponied up 20 or 30 percent of your net worth, same with me, you know, the loss would have been much less. You'd have less to lose. Um, so I just put it to you that way. Uh, second commandment. You okay? You still okay? I mean, you may think um, what I'm doing here is, I, and I don't know, I don't know what you think about this. I don't know if this feels a little rough to you, you know, I don't know. This is what pastors should do for you. This is what pastors should do I mean, this is what you should do for yourself every day. This is part of your daily confession, right? So, even if you, uh, real honestly, you'll find, I think you'll find, when you start doing this, um, you won't be able to get through 10 in a day. If you just did one commandment a day, you'd be fine. Because what will happen is it'll get your, as soon as you get good at it, your wheels will start turning. Um, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God, which means go home today, 
creep onto your kid's Facebook and, you know, delete every place they put OMG. I told you before, I would rather have my kids drop the F-bomb than say, God damn it. Because one is just kind of, you know, outside the bounds of civility, but the other one is invocation of the triune God to act on your behalf against something else, something or somebody else. I mean, one is just not polite company. Uh, but another, the other one is a direct violation of the second commandment, the thing you're told never to do. Never say, God damn it, never. Because it doesn't belong to you to say, and it's a real thing that you're saying. But we, we have it inverted, just the opposite. Very interesting, you know? This is the big thing. Never misuse the name of the Lord. Don't curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie, deceive by his name. Call upon it. Now look how it has positive things. Call upon it in every trouble. Pray, praise, and give thanks. We always think of the commandments as being negative. But guess what? If you don't say your prayers every day, you break the second commandment. If you don't come to church every Sunday, you not only break the third commandment, you break the second commandment. Because God has given you his name to use, and when you neglect it, you disobey him. He says to you, here's my holy name. He puts his holy name on you, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit at baptism. When you don't say your prayers, when you don't have family devotions, you know, you ignore what God has given you. And then, then you come and you wonder why your life is going straight to hell. Well, the answer is because you've given up the protection. You've given up the thing that would protect you from hell, which is the holy name of Jesus. <coughs> See? So God has placed his name on me in baptism. He's made me his dearly beloved child through my dear Lord Jesus Christ. In his name he revealed himself to me as a God of love that I might worship him. So here you are. You're completely lost. And he comes to you and says, I love you and you're mine. I'll give you my name. This is like an adoptive parent. Adoption is the most strange and wonderful thing. That people can adopt children is almost, you can hardly understand that, that kind of love. That they give you the name. They give you their last name, and with that name, they give you, they make you an heir, make you an inheritor of their kingdom, if you will. That's what God has done for you. So, do I curse? Do I use God's name cheaply? Oh my God, right? Um, do I stand up and swear by God's name when it's needed for truth or for the benefit of my neighbor? I would, you know, this usually is two places. One is in court, which Christians can do but you should tell the truth and nothing but the truth at that point. Um, the other place is when you make a vow, and um, people from time to time do make vows. Uh, if you make a vow, you should keep it. If you make a vow and invoke the name of God, um, you should keep it. I can't actually tell you what happens if you make a vow and you don't keep it, but it won't be good. So if you feel like you're going to go outside the bounds of normal life and make a vow, um, if you invoke the name of God on yourself, uh, it's dangerous stuff. I wouldn't recommend it much. And if you do it, I would recommend that you keep it. Um, so, do I pray with fervor in times of trouble? Am I bored and indifferent to prayer? As somebody said at the pastor's conference, well, it was Robert Weber, who was a famous guy who's now died, famous guy who trained at St. Louis, but he was at Wheaton College and then at Northern Baptist Seminary. He said, if you're bored in the liturgy, it's your fault because you're not paying attention to all that's going on. For the last 30, 40 years, it's been the opposite. If you're bored in the liturgy, it's my fault. 
Now, if I come and I haven't brushed my teeth or combed my hair or I'm asleep or, you know, my old is tucked into my pants, whatever, pick something, okay? That's on me. But if I come prepared and you're bored, it's your fault. Because Christ doesn't ask you whether or not <laughs> you're interested in being bored. He actually doesn't care, to be honest with you. He doesn't care if you're, you're not here to be entertained. You're here to confess and be forgiven. Do you see how far the church has fallen? You know, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be kind. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be loving. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be community. Doesn't mean we shouldn't make time for coffee. But your primary thing here is not to be entertained. I'll tell Mueller if he's playing too fast or too slow. That's my job. Okay? You don't need to tell him. You can tell him how much you love him and that you hope he comes back from Africa. Do you know Mueller's going to Africa this week? Who leaves in the middle of Lent to go to Africa? I mean, that's one whopper sin he's trying to make up for. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what it is that he did, but, you know, if you've got to make a pilgrimage to Africa, I don't know, so actually say your prayers. I think he goes Thursday. It was a little cryptic in the prayers today, but he, he's off to help the, at the bishop's invitation. Um, is it so that I cannot speak about God truly because I'm bored with God's word and I neglect my study? You see, Bible study is not optional. Devotions are not optional. That's why in the scriptures you have minimum prayer morning and evening. Right in the temple at the tabernacle, in faithful people. Acts 2, 42, 43, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, and the breaking of the bread. So, and they did that every day. They devoted themselves to scripture, to prayer, and the Eucharist every day. Boom. If you want to fudge about whether or not breaking of the bread is the Eucharist, I'll ease back, but I think it is. Is my life sealed with the name of God in baptism? And is it characterized by thanksgiving and praise? What comes out of your mouth is what comes out of your mouth Characterize the normal character of what comes out of your mouth is thanksgiving and praise. You know, not usually for me. Um, I'd love to give up cynicism for Lent. You know, that wouldn't be a bad thing. Chocolate's easy. Cynicism, that's difficult. You know? I mean, this is for everybody. Just watch what comes out of your mouth. Just kind of take a, you know, just take a tape record yourself for an hour. Um, see what it is that you say, okay? Um, I'll quickly do the third commandment because it breaks neatly then. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. How Christians should be taught to confess, right? Um, we should fear and love God that we don't despise preaching in his word. So you know what? If you're not in church, it's on you. This is, it's funny. I mean, you know, we've had people leave or we've had people say to us, I mean, let's be real honest. We might as well just talk it over. We've had people say, I'm going to stop giving until things change or until I'm happier here. I'm like, Really? So you're going up against the Lord, third and seventh commandment, because you're a little bit out of joint? Hey, guess what? Because you don't like me or somebody else here, you can't stop coming to church, third commandment. Because you don't like me or somebody else here, you can't stop giving. Your tithe is still due under the law, which is how it is if you stop coming. This whole notion of Lutherans stop giving when they don't like something, it's utterly demonic. It's utterly anti-third and seventh commandment. It's the same if you made a Capcan vow and you said, well, I don't like how it's going, so I will go to that. If you made a Capcan vow and you said, oh, I don't like what happened in the school, I don't like what happened in the church, I'm not going to give my vow, good luck, you're on your own. Because um, that was a vow. I mean, it's kind of spooky to say it, but we never talk about these things, so we might as well talk about it. This is the scriptures. You don't get a pass. Even when we tell school families they need to come 75% of the time, 
to get tuition breaks? I don't even know if we should do that. It should be 100% of the time because that's what it is for the rest of us. Yeah, I know you travel and I know blah, blah. I'm just telling you, if you don't come to church every Sunday, you break a commandment. You're sick, we'll come to you. We'll bring you church. You're traveling, there's churches almost everywhere. Um, any other circumstance, which would be, you know, the one percentile, could be forgiven. But not coming and not giving because you're bent about something, you have no defense. That's what the scriptures say. This isn't me, this is the Lord talking to you. So it might be something, and if you know people like this, you probably should talk to them and they should confess too. The Lord's very forgiving, as are we. Um, has he given me my word that I know him and believe in him? His word makes me holy. He gives me eternal life and rest from all enemies. So, do I strive to make this day holy? For example, have you ever spoken ill of anybody in a church building? I know, I know, most places you go to church are free of gossip. But if you've ever spoken ill of anybody in a church building, in a church building, in the school, on church grounds, boom. It's not just um, the Eighth Commandment, it's the Third Commandment. This is holy space. And if you bring unholy things in here, if you bring lies or gossip in here, good luck, man, you're running against the Lord himself. So, you know, do I use the word of God to pray and make my time, my work, my study, and my day holy? Am I lazy or bored with the word of God? Have I any fear of God over this neglect? And one of our problems is we actually, you know, we often fuzzy up. I fear, love, and trust in God as in, you know, that's awe. And really, honestly, there are times you should be afraid of God. When you're um, sort of giving him what for, when you're doing exactly what he tells you not to do, and you're doing that in, on church grounds, oof, you're on your own, you know? I'll pray for you, um, and you should pray for me too, because now it's very important, you know, I'm doing one thing as a pastor here, but you shouldn't hear me saying I'm exempt, exempt from any of this. You know, I've said plenty of things on this two blocks that I wish I had never said. I also am quite willing to repent of it, and if I've said it against any of you, or if you think there's something outstanding, you should come see me nose to nose, and I will welcome you. Um, and you should welcome me when I come to you as well. And that should be normal. See how these things all fit together? You start to confess it, you start to make it normal, you get ready to, 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 to forgive it, you understand what it is, you clear it up, and you live together as community. That's love. Anything else is anti-love and anti-Christ. So, um, do we come at the appointed times? Or do we moan that the, you know, I can hear it coming, okay, I'm hoping it's not going to come. You know, we're going to change service times. Um, probably one service is going to drop out, we're just going to have three. Probably everybody's going to have to change, but the latest service, they may have to change too. And what's going to happen? I can tell you what's going to happen. People are going to say, what? Oh, well, if you're going to have church then, I'm not coming anymore. I'm like, My job is to show up, okay, and deliver the goods. Your job is to be here when the goods are delivered. That's my job. At Cambridge, when I was at Cambridge, the professor was paid to mount the podium and give his lecture even if the room was empty. That's my job. My job is to mount the podium at the appointed time and deliver the goods. Your job is to be here every week with your 10%. Okay. <laughs> um, do I love my fellow Christians by being present here with them? You remember Hebrews, don't forsake the assembly. 
Am I quick to make excuses for my liturgy? Do I complain about the worship, the pastor, and the other people in the congregation? We complain about you, by the way. So and we, we're pretty sure you complain about us. But we're going to go to the Eucharist at 11.15 until like 11.16. We're going to be all cleaned up, and then we'll probably do it again, but we're going to try to be better about it. We wish you would be better about it, too. Okay? Love God and serve your neighbor. I mean, it's all there. Now, that was a ton, and that's only three commandments. And we, didn't hard, we, we hardly did anything. I mean, that wasn't rigorous at all, to be honest with you. That was just kind of the obvious stuff. So there's an awful lot to do. Whether I can bear to do the next seven commandments with you next week, I don't know if I have the strength, actually. It isn't this much fun to do this with you because, because I've been in the church long enough to know what the reaction is for many people when they hear this. I'm just going to tell you, like a parent tells a kid, I'm doing this because I love you. You know, things do have to change. We were unlike other congregations, but we were still too much like other congregations. I don't want to be any other congregation. I want to be this congregation with you, and I want to be a congregation that works in honesty and love by way of confession and forgiveness. If we, you know, people are complaining that there's no strategy here, we don't know where we're going. My flippant answer to that is, you haven't been to church, you haven't been to Bible study, you haven't been to the catechumenate, but if I had to redesign the congregation right now, there'd only be two things that would happen. From Christ and the Eucharist, it would be the reconciliation stuff, this exact thing. The AOR stuff, bundle it all up to be really good at reconciliation, which would mean you wouldn't be really good at skipping church, you wouldn't be really good at being a miser, you wouldn't be really good at gossip, and when you rub each other the wrong way, you'd love each other, and the other side would be the catechumen. It would just be those two things, and one would feed into another, and all of life would be wrapped around the Eucharist. There's a strategy for you in case anybody's asking. Um, you know, life is what it is, but it should get better, all right? I know that's a lot, that's a lot tougher than I like to speak with you, but it's been a tough couple of years, so let's talk about it, let's confess it, let's get over it, and let's be different. Um, and Lent is a great time to do that. So, I love you, forgive me where I've been wrong, I will do my best to forgive you as well, let's go to the Eucharist, okay? Life's good. Alright, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.